Every time we sing that, I feel superfluous. And uh, as I watch Steve, it seems that his hip just heals up while he directs that. So I, I'm, I'm blessed by it. Well, we continue today in our study of basic Christian doctrines. And uh, as we've gone along, the truth is, I, I think that I sense the importance of this series perhaps more than at first. The reason for that, I think, is because these basic doctrines are fundamental to our faith. They are the fundamentals on which our faith is built, and they are foundational to our country. And yet these basic Christian beliefs are under attack today. Those fundamental beliefs of which we sing and teach and preach are under attack today. We have seen in recent months and years the judicial oligarchy as they continue to change our Constitution. For instance, concerning the ban on same-sex marriage, last week there was the ruling of the appeals court that includes the setting aside of the ban in I believe North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, and South Carolina. Now, I know that whenever you say that, immediately someone says, but now, now Wendell, you have to understand that, that there are minority rights, and just because you may not agree with a person's belief does not mean that they cannot hold that belief. And I totally agree with that. I have been taught that all my life. I do not believe that the majority has the right to impose their belief on the minority, even if it might be offensive to me, even if I might not agree with it, I do not believe that the majority has the right to do that. But when I was going to school, if I remember correctly, and I might not remember correctly, and I might not have been there when they fully discussed it, because I never received a, a perfect attendance certificate. I think they gave those, but I never got one of them. So I might have been absent, but, it, but as I remember being taught, there was minority rights and majority rule. Well, then I asked the question, what happened to majority rule? I was speaking with an educator yesterday, and they said that in our school system, if there is one family that says we ought not celebrate Christmas, then that becomes a problem, even if you have 200 students who are there. So I've always believed that there are minority rights that must be protected, minority beliefs that must be protected, but I also believe in majority rule. So I've reached a conclusion for myself, and that is going forward. I'm going to pay attention to what is going on, and uh, I will not support nor will I vote for any man or woman, Democrat or Republican, whether it is for office of president of the United States or county dog catcher, if they stand in opposition to the fundamentals of God's Word. I believe, I, I'm not trying to be contentious or that I'm just saying that these basic beliefs that are fundamental to our faith and foundational to our country are being attacked, and that we at least should know what those beliefs are. Now then, as we've gone along, we begin with the Bible, because that is the basis for our beliefs. Then we looked at God the Father, then the Trinity, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
And today we come to Satan. Now, George Barna did a study in which he said, the majority of Christians do not believe in the existence of Satan. Well, that's a little frightening to me. The majority of Christians do not believe in the existence of Satan. Well, let's see what the Bible says. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28 in the Old Testament, beginning in verse number 11. Understanding that this is addressed to the king of Tyre, but there are many Bible scholars who believe this is a description of Satan. Verse number 11. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, and so forth. Verse number 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the days you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. As we look at this passage of Scripture and we consider the subject today, the way I want to do it is simply to ask some questions. The first question is, where did Satan come from? Now, see, that's a little troubling for us because we believe that God is the Creator. In fact, the Scripture says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible says then that God is the Creator, that He created this physical world. Isaiah chapter 42, verse number 5, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So that was Isaiah's account then that is detailed in the creation story of Genesis. In Genesis, the Bible tells us that God created the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, verse number 10, and God called the dry land earth. The Bible then says that God created the vegetation. Genesis 1:12, and the earth brought forth vegetation. The Bible says that God created the animals in Genesis 1:24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. God created the animals. I've always believed that God created my departed dog, Tex. You know, he's gone to the Lord, gone to be with the Lord. He's in heaven. I have never been convinced that God created Linda's dog, Riley. <laughs> I've often thought she might be the hound of hell, but, <laughs> but God created the animals. And then the Bible says that God created man. In Genesis 1:27, and God created man in his own image. So the Scripture then says that God created the physical world, and he also created the spiritual world. Now, if that's true, 
that God is the creator, that he created this world, that he created the spiritual world, then we would have to conclude that God created Satan. Right? If God is the creator, he created this physical world, created the spiritual world, we would have to conclude that he created Satan. But here's the thing. Satan evolved. He is not what God created. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, we see him described as God created him, and God created him perfect in verse number 12. He said, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. So the Bible says then that at the creation of Lucifer, that he was created in perfection. He was created perfect. The Bible says that he was created as a cherub. Verse number 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. The Davis Dictionary of the Bible records they symbolize, they speaking of the cherubim, they symbolize the presence and unapproachability of Jehovah. Frequent reference is made to Jehovah dwelling among the cherubim. So he was created perfect. He was created as a cherub. And the Bible says that he was created beautiful. In verse number 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Lucifer literally means light bearer, the shining one, the brilliant one. That's the way that he was created. You see, when God created him, he created him as Lucifer, the light bearer, the shining one, the brilliant one. That is what God created, and he became Satan. So, where did he come from? God created him as Lucifer. What do we know about him? Well, in the Middle Ages, the people were amused by miracle plays. The miracle plays were sort of pageants depicting religious stories from the Bible. So they had these plays, miracle plays, and and they would depict the stories from the Bible. Now, there was one character that the people always anticipated in those plays. It was the character who came on the, on the stage wearing a red suit, having a long tail, horns, a pitchfork, cloven hooves. They were thrilled when he showed up. And the reason is because he was presented as a comic character. That was their understanding that they presented in the miracle plays that Lucifer, Satan, was a comic character. Now, folks, the fact is there are many who still think of Lucifer or Satan in those terms. When they think of the devil, they think of him as being a comic character. And yet the names and the titles given to him in the Bible give us some description and understanding as to who he is in character. He is called the devil, Belial, the adversary, the serpent, the enemy, the wicked one, the destroyer, the thief, the father of lies, and so forth. So let's look at it. The Bible says that he was rebellious in verse 16. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was lifted up. Because of your beauty. Satan was the first creature to rebel against God. What was his sin? He was the first creature 
to rebel against God. What was his sin? Pride. That was the sin of Satan. Pride. The Bible speaks of that in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. As the prophet speaks of Satan. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. What was his sin? Pride. He wanted to exalt himself above God. His sin was pride and covetousness because he coveted that that belonged only to God. God is God, not Satan. But that's what he wanted to be. So he fell, verse number 16. And you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. Jesus apparently refers to that in Luke chapter 10, verse number 18. When Jesus said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So whenever we're talking about Satan, the Bible says that he is rebellious. He rebelled against God. The scripture says that he is a deceiver. In John chapter 8, verse number 44, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So understand that Satan is a deceiver. He deceived the angels. Apparently, he was able to deceive the angels so that one-third of them joined with him in his rebellion against God. The Scripture says in Revelation 12:4, And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, it seems in reading the Bible that he was able to persuade a third of the angels to join him in his rebellion. They were cast down as he was cast down. And those fallen angels became the demons who now serve Satan. He deceived the angels. He deceived Eve. 1 Timothy 2.14, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. That, that is amazing to me because it speaks of the power of his deception that Eve was in a perfect environment, perfect relationship to God, and yet she was deceived by Satan, the Bible says. In fact, the Scripture says that he deceives the entire world. In Revelation chapter 12, verse number 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world. I was thinking about his deception. He deceives many by convincing them that he does not exist. He deceives many in convincing them that there is no evil. I was watching a, an interview on television recently, and there was a young lady from college being interviewed, and she was asked the question, do you believe that we should fight the terrorists? And she said, no. And so the interviewer said, well, then what should we do? And she said, I think we should just sit down and talk and, and, and work it out and all of us get along. Well, that would be good. I don't know of anyone who would not like that to happen, and it would happen if there were no evil in the world. The Bible says that he deceives the world, and oftentimes he deceives us into believing that there is no evil, that he does not exist. He deceives the lost, 
those who do not know Jesus. Now, folks, here's the thing. Satan will deceive you into believing that you can become a follower of Christ whenever you wish. And some of you probably have been deceived by that. You know, when I have one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel, then I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. So really what you want is, is a fire insurance policy, not a relationship to God. So he deceives us into believing that we can, we can become followers of him whenever we wish. When I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to make that commitment whenever I wish. Well, maybe and maybe not. He deceives saved people into believing that we can live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit and while we are in disobedience to the Word of God and you cannot live a victorious life that way, but he's a deceiver. He is an imitator. He imitates the Master. What was his desire? What was his desire from the beginning? Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14, I will make myself like the Most High. That is his desire. He wants to be God. And that has been true from the very beginning. Therefore, he imitates God. Satan wants to be God, so he imitates God. He presents himself as God. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2.4, He takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So he imitates the Master. He imitates the miracles. Miracles were used for confirmation. Satan uses miracles to convince people that he is God. Now, he's always done that. In the Old Testament, Moses performed miracles, and the sorcerers of Pharaoh duplicated those miracles. Where did they get that power? I think they got it from Satan. I think that he performs miracles today. I don't believe that all miracles are from God. I think some miracles are performed by Satan's power. I was watching uh, some television show. I think it was on History Channel or something. But it was about some people in India, and they were walking on hot coals without their feet being burned. And then they mutilated their bodies. I mean, I saw them with hooks in their shoulders being hung and all of that. And uh, yet they were not harmed. Now, I, I, how did they do that? And I think that Satan uses miraculous powers today to convince us of things that are untrue. The Bible says that he will in the future. The Scripture says in the future that he will call down fire from heaven. So he imitates the miracles. He imitates the ministers of God. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So he says that we should not be surprised if his ministers don't. I read a, in, in, the, in, a, in an article a, a statement made by a bishop, I believe in Dallas, who said, don't let anyone or anything tell you what is sin. You decide for yourself what is sin. A thing is sin only if you decide it is sin. Folks, not all preachers are preachers of the gospel. And the way you know the difference is how do they respond to the Word of God. And I've said to you before, if I ever come to the place where I take a stand that is contrary to the Word of God, you ought to fire me. I mean, under God, you should, or anybody else. Because that is the requirement to be the person of God, is that our beliefs are rooted in the Word of God. All right, now how does he tempt us? 
He doesn't make us do anything. He, he tempts us, and then we decide what we're going to do. You know, we like to say the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He tempts, and you decide. So the Scripture says in Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The word crafty means skillful, ingenious, guileful, wily. The serpent speaks of craftiness. 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I am afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So the Bible says that he is crafty, that he is bold. Peter said that he walks around as a roaring lion. There is no one he will not tempt, and there is no one who is a match for him. Martin Luther wrote, No man is able to outwit the devil. Think of his boldness. He went right into the Garden of Eden, perfect environment, perfect relationship to God, and convinced Adam and Eve that God was holding out on them. That's bold. To be able to go into the Garden of Eden and convince someone, tempt someone, convince them that God was holding out on them. Look at David. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. David loved God. He was not perfect, but he loved God. I have absolutely no question, but that David loved God. And he was committed to God. And then Satan had Bathsheba taking a shower at just the right moment. And David was gone. Satan was not intimidated by the love that David had for God. Peter was a, a, a member of the inner circle. He was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Satan wasn't intimidated by that. He tempted him to deny the Lord. And surely we do not consider ourselves above temptation. I hope you don't. My wife reminds me often, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. There is no one here who is above temptation. That's what he does. He tempts us, and his strategy has not changed because it is effective. Now, what is his strategy for temptation? It begins with doubt. Genesis 3.1, And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Did you notice what he did there? Very subtle. Has God said... All he's doing is putting a question mark over the Word of God. Did God say that? Is that what he meant? Is that really true? Did you interpret it correctly? Has God said... See, what he does is to, is to put doubt in our mind concerning the Word of God, and then that leads to deception. He said, you surely shall not die. He said, you won't die. You'll become like God. That was the, That's what... There is doubt that leads to deception, and he appeals to the desire. In Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. The temptation was thorough. Physical, it was good for food. Sensual, it was pleasant to the eyes. Intellectual, it would make you wise. I want you to understand the temptation of Satan because it's never changed. It is always the same. It begins with doubt. Doubt the Word of God. That leads to deception, and then he appeals to the desire. Well, what's his end? And this is the good part. What's his end? Well, Satan is defeated. 
In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now he is going to be defeated. Did you know that the demons know that? The demons know that they are following a losing leader. They already know that. The man of Gadara was possessed of demons. Jesus was going to cast them out. And the demons spoke to Jesus, What have we to do with you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Jesus, is this the time? They know that it is ending, that it is limited. Satan knows it himself. The Scripture says in Revelation 12, 12, Woe to the earth and to the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath knowing that he only has a short time. Satan knows that his days are limited. Christians ultimately are victorious. Satan goes to hell. We go to heaven if you know the Lord. But here's the question for you. How do we live a victorious life now? Until then, how do we live a victorious life? Let me give you a couple of suggestions. First of all, we submit to God. In James chapter 4, verse number 7, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So here's what James says. Submit your life to God. Submit to God, your will to God. Resist the devil. The word resist means to stand against. Submit to God, stand against the devil. Ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced that in uh, recent years, we have not been standing against the devil. We have been rolled over. We are not standing up for the things of God and the things of God's Word. That's what James says, submit to God and resist the devil. Don't give him an opportunity in your life. Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil an opportunity. The word opportunity that is used there means a foothold or a toehold. You know that a mountain climber can climb a mountain if he can just get a toehold. Just a little spot on the side, he can climb a mountain. If you give Satan a toehold in your life, just a little area of your life, he will conquer you. He says, so don't give him the opportunity. Don't give him a toehold in your life. And then faith, Ephesians 6, 16, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Now let me conclude. We have an enemy. Created Lucifer, he is Satan. He desires to destroy you and send you to hell. That's what he wants to do. He wants to be God. But we have a Savior. Jesus Christ is greater than Satan, and the Holy Spirit who indwells a believer is greater than the world. So we have an enemy, but we also have a Savior. And Savior and Satan is a defeated foe. So let me say to you that if you have become a follower of Satan, either directly, by intent, or by neglect, you're following a loser. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and the Bible says that he is going to return in victory, and all those who know him will be with him in victory. So I would just simply ask you, there are two choices, who is the master of your life? 
Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ or not? My prayer is today, if you never have, that you will. Our gracious Father in God, we come to this time lifting up an invitation. Father, thank you for the privilege of extending an invitation to your grace. I pray for these with whom you are speaking, that today they would commit their lives to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment we will stand. The choir will sing. We extend an invitation. If you have never come to know Christ, would you commit to Him today? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you as a part of our family if the Lord's leading you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing. As they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do. next week 